Hello, it's good to be here, giving Josh a little bit of a much-needed break. He's been here for uh, preaching and needs a little break from that. So, uh, as he would say, let's pray and get right into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask now that you would help us to realize what we have in you, that we might, oh Lord, walk in the newness of life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have you ever found your pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? I don't know if you know it or not, but that was really an old Irish myth that at the end of the rainbow was a pot of gold. And you often see pictures of leprechauns sliding down the rainbow and hitting that big pot of gold and the, silver and the gold coins flying all over the place. And it's supposed to rep be a realization of our hopes and dreams and success and happiness. And, and all of these things. Where do you look for your pot of gold? Some of us, some people look to religion. When I use the word religion there, I'm not using it in the sense of Christianity. Religion in the sense of man's trying to reach God through living a good life, through, through discipline and, 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 and service and and all of these things, he's trying to earn his way to heaven, basically. Might not put it in those words, but that's really what, what they're doing. When I was young, I, that's how, exactly how I thought of Christianity, was really religion, man trying to reach God. And the answer to that, of course, is Christianity is really God reaching down to man, and he makes it all the way through the cross. And we'll get into that a little later, but for now, looking at the, I guess we could call it secular view of religion, uh, before I was a Christian, my friends and I, we, we would think of, of it just that way. And we would look at pastors, and we had four things we thought about pastors. One of them was, they were boring, not just because they couldn't preach a good sermon, but because... They were so disciplined and so focused on, on the straight and narrow. Uh, the old saying, if you, if you can't be good, be careful. Well, they were always good. And, and we just, it, it, they couldn't have any fun. That was our view of, of Christianity, of religion, and, and them. And the second thing we thought about them is, they're, at least they're really good. Well, that's not true. The Bible says, for all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us, none of us is good enough to get to heaven. But that was the view we had of pastors. And the third, third thing we, we saw of them was that they were, uh, nothing ever bad really happens to them. Well, duh, that's not realistic. Uh, I can vouch for that for sure. And the fourth thing we thought about them is that they were really, really cheap, tight. And always looking for a handout. Uh, I can remember years, this is years ago, when 10% of your, your restaurant bill was considered a good tip. Uh, a couple pastors and I, once a month, we'd get together and go to a restaurant, and we'd each pay our own bills, and each of us would give a, a tip. And, and one, one, one of the guys pulled out a card, and he's going down, and he said, I said, what, what in the world is that? He said, oh, I want to make sure I give enough. I said, 10% is pretty easy to figure out. I said, you're, you know, it, it's $1.42 for you. And he said, well, uh, I want to figure it out, make sure I don't cheat. And I said, look, be really generous. Put $2 down there. And he looked at me, and he grudgingly put $2 down, and then he put a Bible track down. 
I said, uh-uh, you're going to put a Bible track down, put $5 down, because that waitress will not care what you know until she knows how much you care. And that $5 will show her that you care. And then maybe she'll read that track because of, of that generous tip. And, and, so, and unfortunately, that one's pretty much true, that view. But religion doesn't really give you that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And others uh, might look to success. And, and, you know, we all want to get to the place where, like, in, in uh, Oklahoma, oh, what a beautiful morning, oh, what a beautiful day. Oh, I have a wonderful feeling. Everything's going my way. There aren't many times in life where everything is really going our way. And so we keep looking. We look to religion or we look to, to finances. Uh, those that win the lottery, whether uh, one article said that whether you win 500 million or 100, or 1 million, five years from, from that point, 70% of the people are broke and bankrupt. Thinking, how in the world could you spend a million dollars in five years? A lot of us would like to give that a shot, right? But hey, it just doesn't, uh, you know, it, it doesn't bring what, that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow like people think. To begin with, it's one, only one out of 292 million are your chances of winning that lottery. And it certainly doesn't bring that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, that life of uh, realization of our hopes and dreams and success and happiness. It just isn't found in that pot of gold. And chances of, as we go on, and some t people look to, to others. You know, we look within, and it's not there. And we look to others. Uh, 1928, uh, political party, and I choose 1928 because none of you are that old unless you're as old as my mom. She was only four years old then. And so, <laughs> 1928, the, the man that won the presidency said that he was going to put a chicken in every pot and a car in every backyard. Well, in 1932, the opponent running for office said he said he was going to put a chicken in every pot and he was going to put two cars in every garage. Well, you know, a little exaggeration to say the least. But... The political rhetoric goes on and on and on. And we think of, you know, the politicians today and, and all through this ages have promised that pot of gold. But somehow we keep winding up with a dumpster fire. I don't know how. It's, isn't that the reality of it all? We never quite seem to get there. And there was a man that looked within himself to find this, and that was Nebuchadnezzar. I really love the book of Daniel. A lot of people like the book of Daniel because of its prophetic value. By prophetic, I mean it's a window where we can look through God's glasses into the future and get an idea of what is going to go on in the future. And there's certainly some really neat expectations, and that's exciting to, to see what God is going to be doing. But I like it for the very practical lessons. There were four young men, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, or actually, let me use their godly names, Daniel, Michelle, Hananiah, and Azaria. They, they, these kids were 
were smart, they were intelligent, they were good-looking, the Bible tells us that, and they were of noble families. These were the type of kids, today they would have been the president of their class, they'd have been the captain of the football team or soccer team, they would have been the high score in a basketball team, and they would have been the, the ace pitcher and home run hitter of their baseball team. All of, I mean, they really had it going for them. And all of a sudden, they're ripped out of their community and their culture, taken to a foreign culture where they're made to learn another language, another culture. And in the process of this, Daniel and his friends determined that they would not defile themselves before God and eat the king's food. And instead, they ate vegetables and drank water. And, and, and at the end of a time, they were more healthy than, than those that were eating all off the king's table. Why? Why could they do that? Because, you see, they found their pot of gold. And it wasn't in religion. It was in a relationship with the living God. And the circumstances didn't rob them of that pot of gold. They found it. We'll talk more about that later. But you get into chapter 2, and, and Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. And in this dream, it, he saw some terrible things, and he, and he calls the Chaldeans and the sorcerers and the magicians and all those guys that he normally called in to interpret the dream. Only this time he says, interpret the dream for me. Or tell me what the dream is before you interpret it. And they said, well, we can't do that, so Nebuchadnezzar's going to kill them all. Going to kill them all. But Daniel comes in and he says to the king, give me some time and I'll tell you what that dream was and I'll interpret it for you. So he goes and he, he goes back to his friends, Michelle, Hanani, and Azaria, and they have a prayer meeting. And God gives Daniel the answer. The next day he goes in and the king says, well, can you give me the answer? Can you tell me what the dream was? And he says, no, no. And he can just see the blood curdling, boiling in and Nebuchadnezzar, but he said, but there's a God in heaven who can, is a revealer of dreams and its interpretation, and he will give it to you. And Daniel tells him the dream, and, and this was the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar starting to really focus on God. Uh, and I believe that at the end of chapter 4, I really believe he's a believer. But at this point, it, he's at the point where his, he thinks that Daniel's God is above all the gods that he has. And that certainly is a... It's a good start. And then we get into Daniel chapter 3, and Michelle, Hananiah, and Azariah, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, you want to use their godless names, their heathen names, uh, stand before the king, and the king says, if you don't bow down before this idol I've made, I'm going to throw you into the fire. But if, and if you don't, then whose God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Hmm. And they said, Shadrach and Abednego said, look, we don't have to answer you in this. Our God is able, but even if he doesn't, we will not worship your gods. They were thrown into that fiery furnace, and they came out without even a, a singed hair, without even the scent of smoke, because God was with them. How could they be so brave before they were thrown into that furnace because they found their pot of gold. They found that abundant life that Jesus Christ says he's come to give us. And then in Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 4, believe it or not, is, is Nebuchadnezzar's 
testimony. How about that? A godless king giving a testimony to the glory of God. Isn't that neat? And he starts out in the first few verses giving a summary of his testimony. He says, to the King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, he, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. That's where Nebuchadnezzar wound up. But now we, get, we go through, the, through the, uh, the dream that he had. This time he interprets, he tells the dream, rather he didn't interpret, he tells the dream to the magicians, the sorcerers, the chanters, and all those other guys that he called in. And they couldn't even fake an answer. So he calls in, Bel he calls in Daniel. And Daniel goes through the dream, tells him, says the decision. And Nebuchadnezzar now telling him in verse 17 that what, what the vision said. The division is announced by his messengers. The holy ones declared the verdict is that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom, kingdoms of men and gives it to, to anyone he wishes and sets it over the lowliest of men. And so again, now, king, now Daniel's interpreting it for the king. In verse 25 it says, You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and drench and be drenched with the dew of heaven, seven times will pass by before you will acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And, and so that was to be the end result. And Daniel interprets it, and, and, and Daniel interprets it in 25 and 26. And, and, and then in verse... but. Nebuchadnezzar didn't take, the, take heed the message. It was a year later, and, De, and Nebuchadnezzar said, Is this not the, the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my might, mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And it says, The words were still in, on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is a decree that the king, for you, King Nebuchadnezzar, the royal authority has been... Talk, taken from you, you will be driven away from people and live with the wild animals and will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives it to anyone he wishes. And we can go on in verse 37 and we have the climax. Actually, verse 34 starts where Nebuchadnezzar says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored the gl and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? 
verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt the glorified the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now, the reason I went through all of that was to show you, here was a man who had all the power he needed. At least he thought he did. But it really didn't give him that pot of gold. You see, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't in control. God was in control. And oh, we need to learn that so much. It's so important that we realize that we can't, it's not from within, it's not from around, but we need to look up. That's where the pot of gold is in Jesus Christ. And it's in the form of the abundant life. In John chapter 10, in verse 10, Jesus says, The thief comes but to steal and to destroy and kill. I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. More abundantly. And what is that thief that comes to steal and to kill? Well, that's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, as it tells us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. But we can go all the way back into the garden when Eve was tempted the first time by the serpent. And he said, that, you can eat from that tree. That tree will make you wise and, and knowledgeable. And, and, then, and even though God told her not to, she looked at that tree and she could tell it was good for food, the lust of the flesh. It was pleasing to look at, the lust of the eyes. And it was desirable to make her wise, the pride of life. And it's in those three areas that we keep turning to, looking within, looking around to fulfill that abundant life, that pot of gold that we, is so elusive. And we never, ever seem to find it because we look everywhere but to look up. That's why in Romans chapter 12, in verse 1, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, it begins with surrender, that abundant life. Surrendering our will, our lives, over to the Lord. And we used to sing, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Or another old hymn was, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. But instead, we're, we're walking under a load of guilt and shame and desperately in the need to, for Jesus to touch us, that we will no longer be the same. Matthew 6, 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added on to you. What he's saying there is, we need a priority shift. A shift from the, these things around us and a priority shift that has heaven in view. Seek first God's rule, God's kingdom. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and lean not on your own understanding. He will direct your paths. He will give us direction. Direction comes from God. It doesn't come from our will or, or what we think we need to do. It comes from God. And so we give our, li we sac uh, give our lives as a living sacrifice. We seek first his kingdom. And then we trust him to guide us. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet 
and a light for my path. So there's where direction comes from. It comes from God. And peace. Oh, we look for peace. Jesus says, come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I just picture being under the weight of the world, crushed by the circumstances of life. And Jesus is saying, come, I'll give you rest. Trust me. Trust me, I'll give you direction. I'll provide for you. Just keep your priorities on me, with me first. And God gives us help. Psalm 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? No one is the answer. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? No one. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. He's our refuge and strength. He's our help. He's all we need. He's all, all we need. And in, Proverbs, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Talking about security. Oh, what we wouldn't give for security. And it comes from God. But man looks everywhere around for that pot of gold. That, that he's chasing rainbows and, and looking for that pot of gold. And all the time, all he needs to do is look up and say, Lord, all to you I surrender. All to you I freely give. Take my life, Lord, and let it be consecrated to you. And all these things will happen. John chapter 15 and verse 11 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. Where do we look? Where do we look for all the things in life? We need to look to the Lord. And then we can, in the worst of circumstances, like Daniel and Michelle and Hanani and Azaria, we can say our God is able, and our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will remain true to him. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him, I freely owe. The Bible tells us that we're strangers and aliens here on earth. That means that it's not always going to be comfortable. It wasn't comfortable for Daniel. It wasn't comfortable for Michelle and Hannah and I in his area. But they had their pot of gold because they were looking to the Lord. And that's what we need to do. Life is... It's so valuable. And, some, and Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says that our citizenship is in heaven. No wonder we're not always comfortable here. Jesus said that in the world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, he is the answer. He's the answer to all the trials and the tribulations that we face we go through some difficult times but someday someday we're going to be home with him in heaven see the very next thing that's going to happen prophetically is that jesus is going to come back in the air and all those who who knew christ as their savior and have, have physically died but are very much alive and in heaven with the lord now will come back with him 
their bodies will be resurrected out of the grave. The mortal body will become immortal. The corruptible body will become incorruptible. And they'll be reunited with their bodies. And the living, those living on the earth who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be caught up in the air. And their mortal bodies will become immortal bodies. Their corruptible bodies will become incorruptible. And we're going to go and be with the Lord forevermore. And that's really what's so exciting. You see... God has a plan, and he's working his plan. And that plan includes an abundant life for you and me. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Each and every one of us here have gone through trials and tribulations of one degree or another. And that's the way this life is going to be because we live in a fallen world. But we can face the adversity of life knowing that that abundant life, that a pot of gold, that security, that direction, that peace, that help begins with Jesus Christ as our Savior. Someday, after that, that next thing that's going to happen, sometime later after that, Jesus is going to come back to earth, literally to the earth this time, and we're going to come back with him. And listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 2. In the last days, he will judge, that is, the, Jesus will judge between the nations and will settle disputes with many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train anymore. And a little later on in Isaiah, it says, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf with the lion, and eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand in the adder's nest. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. That's what we have to look forward to. And I think of Bart Mallard when he sang that song. I can only imagine. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk beside your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when, my, when your face is before me. I can only imagine, I can only imagine, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance with you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or on my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah, or will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine, I can only imagine... I can only imagine that's the real pot of gold, that abundant life. We can have the security of knowing that Jesus is with us. We can know that, have the security of knowing that he helps us through the difficulties of life. We can have, the, have his joy and his peace in the midst of turmoil if we will only look him all to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give taste and see that the Lord is good what a difference he can make in a life will you put your faith and your trust in him will you open up your heart our abundant life doesn't rest in what we can muster up it doesn't
depend on what others can do and do for us. It depends upon the Lord. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul went through about all the things he was having difficulties. I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is keeping that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul committed his life unto the Lord. He knew that God was going to keep it. Will you commit your life unto the Lord? And you too will be able to sing hallelujah in the midst of many, any adverse circumstances that life can throw at us. Let's pray. Father, how I pray that each of us would make sure that we've asked you to be our Savior from sin to eternal life. Knowing, Lord, that that's where that abundant life really begins. Not that it's easy, but oh, it's eternal. Oh, our hope will be realized that one day the trials of this life will be over and we will be able to live with you forever where there's no more weeping, no more gnashing of teeth, no more pain, no more death, no more suffering. All those things have passed away. Father, until then, might we surrender our lives to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.